If you will, open up with me to Luke 11. We're going to be in verses 27 through 36. <clears throat> you know, last week, Pastor Michael really is kind of one of those really large chunks of Scripture. You had to break it up into like two weeks. And so Pastor Michael covered part one of this chunk of Scripture last week. And we saw that apart from Jesus, we are active of Satan. That we are in desperate need of the salvation that Jesus alone provides. And we saw last week, you know, Jesus had been dealing with some really hard hearts. You know, hearts that were so calloused that even though they were eyewitnesses to the exorcism and healing of a mute victim of Satan, that they dismissed the miracle by attributing Jesus' power to Beelzebul, the prince of demons, and then they asked for a sign from heaven. And in response to the first dismissal, you know, Jesus mercifully reasoned with them. You know, he showed them that you know, their thinking was wrong, their thinking was completely illogical. And then he gave them a chilling warning, followed by a warm appeal. You know, the warning is that, you know, is bold. It's that the state of a person that is delivered from a demon, but not filled with Jesus, is even worse than they were before. The warm appeal is where we pick up today in verse 27. And that is that blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. So let's read Luke 11, 27 through 36. <clears throat> While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined, as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Dear God, as we come to your word this morning, God, as we read this passage and we pray that you help us to see what it is that you were saying, you know, in the original context, to the original audience here. And God, I pray that you speak through me this morning. You help us to be able to see what you're saying to us, you know, through this passage today. And God, we pray that you help us to be able to, you know, accurately apply that in our lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, 
One of the things that I've learned in, you know, the few years that I've been preaching is that, you know, sometimes the things that people, like, really, the things that resonate with people, the things that they respond to, or, or like the amen that you get is not always really where you expect it to come from. And it's not always at, like, you know, necessarily, like, the best time. It's always, like, what you wanted, like, the point I really wanted to get across, but sometimes things stick. And I remember the very first time I ever preached a sermon, and, you know, I'm up there, I have no idea what I'm doing, so I'm, like, holding on to the pulpit, and I'm just trying to, like, trying to figure my way through this. And, you know, I'd practiced my sermon a bunch of times, and I had this joke that kept coming into my head. And every time I practiced it, I was like, do not say that, David. That is so corny. It is not funny. Don't say it. It was something like, I think I was taking a Greek class at the time, and I was saying something about the language being hard, and it was, it was like, it's like a different language or something. It was not funny. But I, I, I was preaching, and I said it, and I was so embarrassed. As soon as I said it, I was like, I cannot believe I just said that out loud in front of people. And, like, finished the sermon, and for, like, we, and really for years, people would come up to me and talk about, like, that joke. It was like, it wasn't funny. For whatever reason, it stuck with them. And I got to relive that embarrassment over and over and over again for saying the corny joke. I, I was like, I cannot believe I said it, but I did. And I say this because you never know what sticks. You never know, um, you know, what resonates. And, and I think that that joke actually did help me, you know, help get my point across effectively, as embarrassing as it may have been. But, you know, the crowds don't always say amen at the right time. And so to kind of set the scene here, you know, as Pastor Michael really did last week, the scene here is pretty overpowering. You know, no one, you know, it's not really one of those, like, here's just this happy conversation happening um, between Jesus and, and these people. Like, no one's smiling here. Jesus wasn't smiling. His antagonists were not smiling. It was tense. And then a woman in the crowd gets a little happy, and she yells out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. A little bit of an odd thing to shout, maybe. I don't know. But she's trying to amen Jesus. This is what she's trying to do. And, you know, this was a seemingly, you know, spontaneous cry from this woman in the crowd that wanted to honor Jesus and wanted to honor his family. And so he responds in verses 27 and 28 with, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's here that we get our first point for today. We need to not just hear God's word. We need to obey it. <laughs> that was properly timed. <laughs> the woman says this, and Jesus doesn't disagree. You know, effectively, Jesus says yes, but there's more to it. Mary was blessed because she heard the word of God and she obeyed it. You know, this puts the highest blessing of God within reach of us all. You know, there are only two steps to blessedness. To hear the word of God, to obey it. We need to listen to the word of God with reverence. We need to hear it with understanding and then we need to know what it means. And then we need to do what it says. Jesus said that hearing the word of God and keeping it is a higher blessing than Mary's blessing is in giving birth to Jesus. 
That's a, that's a big deal. You know, the woman's cry above the slander of the Pharisees and the murmurings of the crowd, it was brave and it was right. And Jesus had mercifully reasoned with them. He had mercifully warned them. And now he gave them a merciful possibility that tugged at their souls. Now, this is a promise and a warning that we see in verse 28. The thing that counts is obeying the word of God. That is the blessed way of life. That is the promise. And the related warning is this. It's possible to hear the word of God, to hear it a lot, but not to obey it. And verses 29 through 32 illustrate how this happens. You know, here, Jesus really, he answers the skeptics back from verse 16. You know, some people in the crowd were demanding a sign from heaven. And this is where we get our, our second point uh, in verses 29 through 32. Don't miss the greater sign. Jesus took up their request for a miraculous sign, and in doing so, you know, he reminded them of two famous occurrences in their history when Gentiles responded to the word. You know, one with the amazing case of Jonah, and then also the case of the Queen of Sheba. Now, Jesus had just said <clears throat> that you have to obey the word of God. Now, he's going to go ahead and refer to that, refer to times in Scripture where that happened. You know, the Lord compares himself here to the prophet Jonah. God had recruited Jonah to go to the wicked people of Nineveh. But Jonah disobeyed. He tried to run the other way. And as we know with the story of Jonah, you know, it's, it's one that we hear a lot. Um, you know, God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and spat him out on the shores of Nineveh where God had originally told him to go. You know, his very experience made him a sign to the Ninevites. You know, that's not a thing. What happened to Jonah is not a thing that normally happens to people. And so, you know, the fact that this happened, and then he's here in Nineveh, that's a sign. And all of Nineveh repents when he preaches. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jesus says here that those three days and three nights were the sign of Jonah. In other words, those three days, like all signs, pointed forward to something even greater. Now, Jesus says that he is the greater Jonah. He will be dead in the belly of the earth for three days, but then he will be resurrected. That's a far greater miracle than even Jonah's. You know, this is one of those experiences we have a lot. It's, you know, you go throughout and you know, read through the Old Testament, and you see, like, you know, all of Scripture goes together. You know, we're pointing, pointing to the gospel, and it's, it's always so cool when you read the story, like the story of Jonah or, or other times in the Old Testament, these things that are pointing to Jesus. And you're able to just see so clearly, like this, this does, this flows together. This is by design. And here, here's one of those times, here's Jesus talking about, you know, the sign of Jonah. You know, Jesus shows us that if we read our Bibles well, then we're reading about him. Here, the Old Testament story of Jonah, it points to Jesus' own passion and resurrection. And the other incredible account is that of the Queen of Sheba. And it's recorded in 1 Kings 10, 1 through 13, and 2 Chronicles 9, 1 through 12. You know, in her own land of Sheba, which is uh, southern Arabia or modern Yemen, you know, months away by caravan, the queen had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And so, employing a vast group at immense cost, 
she made the long and dangerous journey to see Solomon. And we see this in 1 Kings 10, 6 through 9. It says, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these, your servants, who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. The queen of Sheba had gone through a lot of discomfort and danger just to hear Solomon. And she praised the God of Israel for her. You know, the Jonah and Queen of Sheba uh, background in her mind here, you know, we now look at Jesus' response to those who were looking for a sign. You know, he says in verses 29 and 30, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jonah became to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to his generation. And according to William Barclay, about 15 years after Jesus' time on earth, there's a man named uh, Theodos, and he rose up among the Jews. He claimed to be the, the Messiah, and he persuaded people to follow him with the promise that he was going to part the Jordan River in two. Well, he tried and failed. The Romans dealt pretty severely with him, but he knew the sign that the people wanted to see. He knew what would get them excited, what they were looking for. He had no way of providing it. Of course, he was you know, a false prophet. But Jesus told us that, that hearing and keeping the word are more important than signs. But these people here, they wanted signs. Ironically, Jesus had given a lot of remarkable signs. It just wasn't the signs that they had wanted to see. They wanted signs of military resistance. They wanted signs of political independence. They wanted the Messiah to come in and, and overthrow Rome and put, them, you know, put Israel back on top. They were, you know, what they were looking for in, in the Messiah was so much smaller than what the Messiah actually was. But they had this idea in their heads, and they wanted the sign pointing to that. And so when Jesus came and he showed his signs and he proved that he was the Messiah, that wasn't what they were looking for. That wasn't what they wanted. They wanted an earthly savior. And Jesus condemned their seeking after a sign, especially when you know, countless signs had already happened before their eyes. It's really easy in our lives to overestimate the power of miraculous signs to change the hearts of doubters and skeptics. You know, we could think, if we just get this one sign, it's all going to change. You know, Jesus said he would be like Jonah to them. That was the sign. <clears throat> you know, how was that so? You know, obviously, both Jonah and Jesus were preachers of righteousness and repentance. But the deeper significance of the sign of Jonah is in Jonah's figurative death, burial, and resurrection when he was tossed to his apparent death in the sea. He was entombed in the fish. And then he was delivered up alive. And of course, this was figurative. You know, Jonah did not literally, you know, die, be 
buried and, and raised from the dead. It's figurative, but this was literally fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross at the hands of the Romans. It was literally fulfilled by his burial by Joseph and Nicodemus. And it was literally fulfilled by his glorious resurrection. You know, this is exactly what Jesus said according to Matthew's account. In Matthew twelve forty. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <clears throat> this is the sign that, jo uh, that Jesus had promised. Jesus is the sign, both to his present generation and, and, and to ours. You know, this present generation, this ours. Jesus is the sign. We are to believe in him. You know, the great sign that Jesus gives to all, and especially those that think miraculous signs in order to believe, is the miracle of his atoning death and burial and triumphant resurrection. You know, that's the gospel. The gospel is a pretty great sign. And that's the sign that we have. And Paul, you know, he, he capsulized this in writing in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Saying, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You know, we need to remember in our lives that, you know, just because we hear the word of God. You know, just because we come to church on, on Sunday or we are in a Bible study. Or just because we have seen some sign or some miracle, or just because somebody does, somebody sees that, or somebody hears the word of God, does not necessarily mean that they believe it. You know, we can't just attend church, or we can't just give a mental assent to the fact that, you know, God exists. We need to believe, and we need to live like we believe. You know, our lives need to reflect our belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 16, it records that others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. These were people that did not want to believe. These were people whose hearts were, you know, were hardened towards the Lord. They were maliciously testing Christ. This is why in verse 29, he calls them an evil generation seeking a sign. Because for these people, 10 million signs and wonders would not, you know, it would, it would not make them turn to Christ. It would not make the world turn to Christ. The ultimate sign is the sign of Jonah because it makes Christ everything. Jesus wasn't interested in giving signs abstracted from his person. He is the sign. He is the gospel. And Jesus then explained that the sign would lead to greater judgment. Verse 31 saying, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of, his gener of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You know, Solomon was wisdom personified. But the wisdom of Solomon was simply a foretaste of the wisdom of God. It doesn't even compare. And yet in Jesus, one greater than Solomon is here isn't just wise. Jesus isn't just, you know, the wisest person that ever lived. Jesus 
is wisdom. Paul describes him as Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus explains that the one greater than Solomon is standing right before them. The irony is biting. The Ninevites and the, queens, uh, the queen of Sheba had accepted the messengers of God. But Jesus' audience, before Jesus himself, rejected God right in front of them. Solomon's wisdom was derived, but Christ himself is wisdom. And at the judgment, the queen of Sheba will rise as their accuser because though Solomon was far inferior to Christ, she left throne and palace and risked the dangers of a thousand just to hear what he had to say. These men in the presence of the Son, in the presence of God's wisdom, thought, he's not that much. They said so, and they rejected him. Jesus went on to say the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. <clears throat> Jonah's preaching was simple and to the point. And the Ninevites, despite their untaught gentle, uh, Gentile consciences, they responded. Jesus, his preaching too, was plain. And it was laced unmatched eloquence. Yet the scribes and the Pharisees heard it, and they did not repent. You know, we have to be really intentional about feeling the weight of these words. You know, when we open up, you know, our Bibles, we need to be intentional about you know, really reading and really digesting what it is saying. I mean, look at the advantage that we have here at this point in history. You know, we have the entirety of Scripture right at our disposal. You know, that you, know, you could come here and you could be like, oh man, I forgot my Bible, and pull out your phone and have the Scripture right there at your fingertips in different good translations in our own language. You know, we see a lot of times we're reading the, the New Testament and it talks about, you know, the Scriptures say, they have, you know, they have the Testament. And, you know, that, you know, and we have, we have a full gospel presentation within the Old Testament. But look at the advantage that we have here. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. The Bible in its entirety. We have the four gospel accounts. You get a, you know, we get the full picture of the gospel easily accessed. We have 2,000 years of church history. You know, we are three clicks away at any time for reading a passage of scripture and saying, you know what, I wonder what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this. And we can actually see what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this. And we have the Holy Spirit's work in us and around us. I and mean, we have an incredible advantage. And we have a great responsibility to be open to the light, to believe in Jesus and to follow him faithfully and courageously. To open up our Bibles and not just gloss over it and say, I've heard this a thousand times, but to really read it, to hear God's word and obey it. At this point, Jesus gives some short parable-like statements to really drive home the message that we must make every effort to open ourselves to the light of his revelation. You know, we see here in the warning to don't suffer, don't suffer the more severe condemnation so easy to become hardened to the sign of Jonah. 
to be gospel hardened by hearing the word of God so much. You know, we just grow up in the church or whatever, and you know, you hear it all the time, and then it, you know, almost like you know, we just hear it. And it's like I've heard that before, and we don't we don't really think about it. You know, lifelong familiarity to the gospel. You know, if we're not careful, it can dull us to it. You know, we see there's so many things in in the Bible that are just like you know, these stories that are absolutely crazy. And you can get in, like, the Sunday school setting or the youth group setting or just reading it on your own, and it's like, oh, I've heard this before, and you just kind of, like, gloss over it. Like, I know this specifically happened to me one time, you know, as, as a kid, you know, in Sunday school and learning, of like, uh, Eutychus, and he's, like, you know, sitting in, like, the, you know, the second store or whatever in, in the window, and he, Paul's preaching, he falls asleep, falls out and dies, and, like, <laughs> raises from the dead, goes back up, and then Paul continues preaching. Like, that story's nuts, but I remember, you know, when I was younger, it's just like so desensitized to it. It's like, yeah, yeah, crazy stuff happens in the Bible all the time. And it's like, then coming back to it, it's like, no, this story's insane. And there's so many things throughout this, like, you know, the gospel message, like that, that we are sinners. When we really understand what we deserve as sinners for a holy and a perfect God. That because of Jesus' love for us, with his death, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, we can turn from our sin and trust in him as lord and savior like that's incredible and that's why i say i've said it here several times and i've said it to our youth and our young adults all the time that it is so important to regularly cite the gospels to yourself and not just say it like all right this is the thing here's the gospel but to really think it through because it's so important that it is fresh in our lives and fresh on our minds Jesus began the section by describing the effect of his own gospel preaching. He said, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. The truth, the truth of his preaching is evident, and it must not be hidden. You know, the light of Jesus is meant to be placed in a prominent place in the house so that it gives light to everyone. In the preceding context, you know, it makes it plain that Jesus is preaching his word is the light. And so if we have that light as believers, we need to shine it. It's probably like, you know, this week, I'm sure everybody lost power. If you didn't, I'm jealous. You know, we lost power, and the first thing you do is like, okay, well, it's dark now. I'm not ready to go to bed, so you light the candles. It, it would have been ridiculous and super dangerous had I lit that and then, like, put it in a drawer. You wouldn't be able to see until the whole thing caught on fire. But say that didn't happen. You, you light that candle and you put it out because like, I want to be able to see. You know, I want to be able to you know, talk to Lindsay and actually like, see her face as we do that. You know, we have the light of the gospel. It's a whole lot better than a candle in our house. We have the light of God's word and we look out at a broken and a lost world. Desperately in need of the light. We need to shine it in our lives. We need to share the gospel, and we need to live it out. The second part here, what Jesus is saying, it's a little bit difficult, because it represents the eye as the lamp of the body. And our eyes, strictly speaking, do not generate light. When he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Now, Jesus eye is the lamp of the body because it's light in. It allows the mind to comprehend, to assimilate, to respond to what the light reveals. And so if our eyes are good, well, everything flows from there then. Then, then everything can function as it's supposed to. 
But if they're defective, if our eyes are bad, then our body is full of darkness. And just like if our eyes are good, everything flows from there. If our eyes are bad, everything flows in the opposite direction. It affects everything. Jesus is speaking of our spiritual perception. If our spiritual eye is healthy, then the light comes in and our interior being will be illuminated. And from there, it shines out. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we ask, what, what power do our eyes have? A lot. Because if they are bad, the outcome is disastrous. We blind ourselves to the word if our eyes are bad. But if they are good, then eternity fills our souls and it overflows into those that we come into contact with. We have the sign. Yet the people of Jesus' day missed it. And so often, so do we. That's the point of this parable. Their eyes are bad. And that means that they focus on evil rather than light. Their sight is darkened, and so their entire bodies are darkened. Their condemnation will be more severe than the judgment against the queen of the south, even though she was a Gentile, because she pursued and acknowledged God's wisdom. Their condemnation will be worse than the people of Nineveh, even though those people were Gentiles, and even though those people were really wicked beyond comprehension, because they repented at Jonah's preaching. Jesus takes an ancient prophet from the Bible and the events from that prophet's life, and he says that those things were really signs about him. Because like I said before, the really cool thing about Scripture is that it wasn't like, just like God just was like, had no control, had no plan. It was like you know, floundering. Like there was, you know, the Scriptures all come together. They all work together, and they all point to Jesus. The two things should be evident. One, the only way to read the Bible uh, properly is to read it understanding that it is ultimately about Jesus. And two, Jesus is central to God's work of salvation. We need to hear and heed Jesus' challenge to be careful lest the light in you be darkness. We have to be careful, and we have to also be intentional. So naturally, we ask, okay, well then where do we begin? Well, we must be men and women of prayer. We have to place an emphasis in our lives of confessing our sins and asking God to keep our eyes clear. Jesus' contemporaries, they, they couldn't see his radiant light. They were missing the sign of Jonah, and it was because of a developed state. Surface confession brought them to ignore the inconsistencies in their hearts. You know, they had squelched their burning consciences until they were desensitized. You know, if the light is going to shine in our souls, then there has to be regular confession, followed by passionately asking God to flood our eyes with light. There must also be contemplation. We have to be careful to make time to be you know, alone with God and His Word so that we can meditate and we can engage in healthy introspection. We must honestly ask ourselves, is the light in me actually light or is it darkness? 
And we have to make every effort to make sure that it is not darkness. We also need to read the Word of God with expectancy, asking God to shine His light upon us. Again, look at the advantage that we have, you know, of having the entirety of Scripture at our disposal. It's right there. Don't waste that opportunity. It's an incredible one. We need to give quality time and full concentration to the light of God's Word. I mean, the Queen of Sheba would turn green with envy at her spiritual privilege. You think about all, all that she did, all the danger she faced just to see King Solomon, to hear his wisdom. And here we have the very wisdom of God at our disposal, and you don't have to travel thousands of miles to hear it. And our message is not from a dirty, disheveled prophet fresh from a whale's belly or great fish, but from Jesus who bursts from the grave and gives resurrection life. We must each be careful lest the light in us be darkness. Last week, Pastor Michael finished the, the part one of this pretty big chunk of Scripture with a question. And he asked, how is it between you and Jesus? And he emphasized the importance of the salvation that Jesus provides. Those who are outright against God and those who are neutral towards God. And lukewarm, they reject him just the same. The application here in this passage, at its conclusion, it is clear and it's bold. Don't reject the gospel. The only way to enter the kingdom is to hear God's word and recognize the sign of the cross and the empty tomb. The only way is by hearing and obeying the word of God, beginning with the gospel. It is by believing the gospel that the light enters our souls. 1 Peter 4.17 tells us, For it is time for judgment again with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The finger of God points you to the kingdom of God through faith in the Son. So you are saved by grace from the wrath of God that we have all earned. The people in Jesus' day missed it, and they were condemned. So here's our big question, our big closing question question. Will you miss it? Or will you obey? Will you repent and believe? Or will you suffer condemnation? Let me encourage you this morning. Don't miss the great sign. Don't suffer the more severe condemnation. Don't reject the gospel. Instead, hear God's word and obey it. And let me encourage you, if you have not already, repent and trust in Jesus today. Because he is safe. Let's pray. Dear God, we, God, we come to you as we go through this passage. And God, we pray that you help us to shine the light of the gospel in our lives. God, we know it can be so easy to you know, to, to become desensitized to your word. God, to just be so used to hearing it, you know, all the time. And God, to kind of just go through the motions as things go on in our lives and kind of put our spiritual life on the back burner. But God, we pray, help us to not miss the great sign. 
Help us to not suffer the more severe condemnation. Help us to not reject the gospel. Help us to hear your word and obey it. God, help us to see our world and really, truly see the lostness in our world. God, we pray our hearts for the lost. Help us to take the light of the gospel as that comes into our, you know, our bodies, as that comes into our eyes and lights us up from the inside. Help us to go out and have that overflow and spread your word, spread the gospel, and to show that we're not, these aren't just words that we're saying, but through our lives, help us to show that we truly believe them. God, be at work through us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go to worship right now, I do want to say, you know, if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, you know, if you would like to, to place your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, or you're, you're like, I'm not there yet, I, I do have some questions. You know, myself and Pastor Ben are here, we would love to talk to you. You know, if maybe you're not here, or, or you know, you want, you can email us too at connect at seafordbaptist.com, and again, we would love to talk to you, we would love to be able to answer your questions, we would love to you know, to share Christ with you. And also, if you're, you, know, you don't fall into any of that boats, but you're saying, hey, well, I'm new and I would like to get connected. <laughs> and maybe you do have some questions. And you, it, you know, there's a connect card that is in your worship guide. Uh, we also have the connection corner. Um, we would, you, know, you can come right, you know, it's right back there. You can come and you can talk to us. Uh, but we would love to answer your questions, help you get connected um, and, and share you know, the love of Christ as well. Let's go ahead and, and worship our Lord. Go on and stand with me. Be thou. Be thou my vision, oh Lord
And you guys can all be seated. Um, at this time, you know, we're, you know, we're going to, to pray over our offering. You know, we have our offering, which, of course, you can give online um, at, at seafordbaptist.com slash giving. We have the drop box, which is right here as well. And so, you know, as we continue our worship through our offering, you know, both of those ways you know, are perfectly valid and perfectly great ways to be able to give. 